Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning comes from Matthew chapter 5, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Hear God's word. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Thus far the reading of God's word. A mentor, a friend of mine, an older, wiser pastor in the CREC, likes to call us to a particular prayer that we should pray. And it fits well with the catechism that we'll read soon, which is itself a prayer this time. The catechism tells us to ask God to rule us in such a way that we submit to God, destroy and remove everything within us and around us, that prevents God's kingdom from coming. Jesus says, cut off everything, anything that causes you to sin. So my mentor said to pray this prayer, Lord, do whatever it takes to get me to be more like Christ. Do whatever it takes for me to glorify you. Do whatever it takes to keep me from sinning against you. If we remember this, when the bigger troubles come in life, it helps us remember the truth. God is doing whatever it takes to grow me up, you up, into the full measure of the stature of Christ. In our pride, we tend to think that we're already pretty much there. I only need some light sanding to be Christ-like. Shouldn't hurt too badly. But no, there is a lot more chiseling, hammering, circular sawing, mitering, measuring, cutting, and planing that we still need, that God is going to do before we are prepared as a stone ready to fit into God's heavenly temple. And this is why it's so good for us to listen to those mentors with more years behind them. They have experienced more of God's shaping, both in ways that have hurt and in ways that are a joy. But while the hurts and the joys are real, the shaping is the main thing. And they have lived it. So let us confess that we're sometimes unwilling for the Lord to shape us when it hurts too much. Let us confess our reluctance to to ask God, do whatever it takes, afraid of how much it may take. The sermon text this morning is from Ephesians chapter 3. Um, verses 14 through 19, and these are the words of God. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, fit us now for these words. Do so by your Holy Spirit. May our minds and our hearts be well prepared by you to receive, to believe, and to live according to all you have for us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The, the book of Ephesians is, um, is a wonderful, one of many of Paul's wonderful epistles, but it's, it's laid out in a way that is, is really helpful. It, it kind of it kind of helps two different kinds of people. There are the bookish theologians among us, those who love to consider the, the high theological truths of God's election and sovereignty and predestination and, and the work of the cross and, and the atoning work of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and how all that works, the sealing of the Spirit, the, the covenant of grace, and how that was established all the way back in the Old Covenant um, and, and then somehow we, the Gentiles, are also brought in and how we have all been made one new, one new man in Christ. And it's, it's a glorious three chapters packed together with the, with the wonderful doctrines of grace. And many people just love that. And others really love chapters 4, 5, and 6. Because chapters 4, 5, and 6 tell us, okay, how do I live? What am I supposed to do if I'm a Christian? What am I supposed to avoid if I'm a Christian? I just need to know what to do. I need to go how to go out in my life and, uh, and, and live towards my neighbor, how, how wives are supposed to be towards their husbands and husbands towards their wives. I, I need to understand how, how, I'm, to, how I'm to get rid of th- these old tendencies of mine and, and put on new ways of living. I love the to-do lists. Um, and so Ephesians 1 through 3 is all doctrine. You'll find in Ephesians 1 through 3 not a single command given. It's, it's all what has been given to you if you're in Christ. It's what God has done from eternity past to now, to right now where you are in Christ. Nothing to do with it at all. Nothing to do about it at all. And then you get, and then you get to, to chapters 4 through 6 and it's full of commands. So we, we can say that the, the first three chapters are what we are to believe, and the second three chapters are what we are to do. And right smack in the middle of this is this prayer at the end of chapter 3. I think it's, it's the, hinge that, the hinge of the book that takes us from what we are to believe to what we are to do. But it gets missed, I think, so often. Because we, we think, far too often, what we think is we are, we're supposed to see what we are to believe and, and then set that aside. And now, we're, we're to, because of that, we are going to now do a bunch of things. And I think Paul says, stop. Do not turn the page. After chapter 3, I want you to stop. I want to pray for you. Because before I tell you what to do, I need to make sure that what I have said, what I've given to you in these three chapters, gets down deep in your bones. Because your ability to do chapters 4, 5, and 6 are only going to happen if God takes the truths of chapters 1, 2, and 3 and puts them deep in your mind and in your heart. This is the hinge then, this prayer. It's it's as though Paul says, stop, would you pray with me? I want to pray for you. And so, um, and and then he prays. and And in his prayer, in this prayer, he prays about... The one thing that would sum up all of the Christian life, all of Christian being, all of Christian doing, and that is love. That is love. 
if you think about it, all, all, of the, all of the commands we are told in Romans, all of the commands are, are, um, the, are fulfilled in the word love. Love is the fulfillment of the law, it says in Romans 13. So all the commandments of God can be summed up with this word love. We are to love God and we are to love others. I, I always find it interesting and, and important to remember that the, the command is not to obey the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is, a wonderful, it is a wonderful religion that we have. We are not commanded to obey the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not enough to do so. We are commanded to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. What, a, what an incredible difference that is. Now, where am I going to get that love for God? And then the second great commandment, of course, is that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Not just that we are to treat our neighbor as ourselves. Not, not just that we are to do unto our neighbors as we would like to have be done unto us. But we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so all of it, the, the whole activity of living as a Christian, living as a follower of Christ, is to live out this love, this love that he is going to say to us has been given to us in Christ. So the, the answer to the question, how shall we then live? The sum answer to that is that we are to love. But Christianity is not about doing, doing what, what God tells us to do in order to become. It is about being and then doing. It is about being and then doing. Christianity is the only religion that, that does not tell you the steps that you need to go up in order to, to find the approval of God. It, it's the only religion that does not give you the ring, rings of the ladder in order to get up to heaven, and all you need to do is climb up those rings. The, 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 the religion of Christianity is the declaration of the good news that it's all been done. You have been conquered. You in your sin have been conquered. You in your despair have been conquered. You in your shame have been conquered. You just the way you are have been conquered. And Jesus paid the price for all of it, takes you by means of his spirit, brings you to himself. And now having changed you from the inside out, now you begin to do. Now you begin to have a different kind of life, a different way of living. So um, finding out about this love in our own heart that we are to have for God and for others is, is not first about finding it deep within ourselves. It's rather, as this prayer lays out, being overwhelmed with the riches of God's love for us, the love of the bridegroom for his bride, the love of the father for his children, and living out of and according to that love. God only commands what he gives and he gives only what he commands. And what Ephesians 1 through 3 is talking about is what God has given. And out of that comes what he will command in chapters 4 through 6. And so the end of chapter 3, as I said, he, he, begin, he begins this prayer by saying, For this reason, because of all the things I just told you in the first three chapters, for this reason, Paul writes, because of all has God has declared, all he has accomplished... All he has promised and poured out for us, we must pray. The first thing, our first response must be to pray. Before the commands are given, Paul must pray for those he will command. 
And here's an here's a easy first takeaway, uh, especially for parents. I notice there are a lot of parents here because I notice there are a lot of children here. Children, when your, parents are, when your parents are speaking to you about following after the Lord or obeying him in certain ways, they are doing so out of the love of God having been poured out upon them and they know poured out upon and in you. Your, the need for you to obey is going to take place because, because of what God has given to you to, to be able to obey in that particular way, to be able to love God in that particular way. And parents, follow Paul's pattern. Before Paul goes and tells them what to do, he prays that God would fill them with the knowledge of his love, the knowledge of his success, the knowledge of his victory already over over the people that he's ministering to. For this reason, Paul writes, so speak to your father about it long before you speak to the person about it. It's a good pattern to have also before you go to confront anyone, even to go and encourage somebody, uh, even to go and, and, and do any, any of the relational activities that you might be involved in, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with employers, employees, whether people in the community, to pray before you go and speak. To pray and and ask that God would go before you and overwhelm them with the love of Christ as you go uh, and speak to them. The best teaching in the world, remember this, the best teaching in the world is useless unless the Holy Spirit takes hold of it and applies it deep in our hearts. It really is, um, a man prepares a sermon and... um, uh, I, I remember reading, I believe it was John Piper I was reading one time, and he was, he was talking about um, having finished his manuscript. And having finished his manuscript of what he believed to be all true and accurate and, and a good message, he still laid it before the Lord. And his prayer was, these will be empty words, Lord, unless your Holy Spirit takes them and implies them into the hearts. Th- these are imperfect words. They will be delivered by an imperfect man. They will be delivered in an imperfect manner. But you, by your spirit, would you accomplish your perfect work? And in, in, in that kind of attitude, you're understanding that the work is really, the work is all of God. So word and prayer, prayer and word. And so what he says is he says, but I, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father, to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come to the Father and we come to the Father in the name of Jesus. Um, and, he, and he does so here. The, the prayer is to the Father, and while we have been given easy and bold access to the Father, notice that he bows, bows his knee. He bows his knee to the Father. He humbly bows before God the Father. Even Paul, the apostle, um, is, is humble in his devotion, in his reverence, in his humility, absolutely dependent upon the grace of God. We are told to boldly come before the throne of God, and we ought to come boldly because the blood has been shed and, and has been laid out before uh, the throne and we can come before the throne of grace. But we come humbly and gladly to the Father through Jesus Christ. This is the Father, he says, who, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. An interesting side note here. This is the Father from whom every family or every fatherhood, the word is patria. It's where we get our word patriarch, patriarchy. And so he's saying here that all the families, all the families are, are situated in a similar way that God the Father is in his eternal family. Um, that, that God the Father has named or has 
naming rule over all of the patriarchs, over all of the other rulers of authority. And he comes, to, he comes and speaks to him. What we learn here is that God is, God is the one that was, is responsible and able in every situation and circumstance for every family and for every nation. He is always the answer. And so, fathers, make this your prayer. Make this your prayer for your people. One of the applications I'm going to take at the end here is to, is to encourage you to take this prayer and make it your prayer for your people. Make it your prayer for yourself and make it for your people. We'll, we'll talk about how to do that as we get to the end here. Okay, so what does he say? He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And this is what he prays that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And he goes on and on. There's kind of um, phrase after phrase after phrase that he's building on. What is, it, what is he praying for here? He's praying, he's praying for more gifts to be given to these people out of an abundant storehouse of the Father. Paul's request is for the Father to grant... That is to give or to grace. Just, I want you to be, bequest these. I want you to give these. I want this to be something, Father, that they, they haven't earned these things, but would you give them to them? Would you grant to them? Not only they would, would you grant to them, and not, and not just out of the riches of your glory. Paul knows the riches of the glory of Christ, the riches of God. And he's, and, but he doesn't say, I want you to reach into and, and take some of that glory out and give it. He says, I want you to bless and grant to them according to, along, in the same way, in the same amount. Match the glory of your riches and pour it out abundantly upon your people. If you have a Bible, let me just, he's been talking about according to the riches and according to God's love all through the first three chapters. Chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In verse 4, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation in the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. How much has the Lord God forgiven you through Jesus Christ? How many of your sins can be forgiven? Are there sins that you have, that you have done, you've done so many times, or they were so dark that, that you think that he could not, forgiven, for, for you, he could not have forgiven you? But, but don't you see what Paul is saying, what Paul talks about here is a riches, an abundance of riches of God. God's forgiving love through Jesus Christ. Um, verse, um, verse 11, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according, according to, there it is again, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 17, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This overabundance of blessing has been talked about all through chapters 1 and 2, declaring the infinite and abundant riches of God's glory given to us in Christ Jesus. And, and so when he prays, would you give out of or according to the riches of your glory? Paul knows that that storehouse is packed. 
that storehouse of abundant riches and glory and blessings is packed. He's praying for his people, the people he's writing to, that they would receive, that God would give that to them. He says, in accordance with those riches, Paul asked the Father, then he says, to strengthen believers, strengthen them with might through his spirit in the inner man. It's, it's like he's saying, I want you to give them all these riches and blessings, but they're, they, they're not going to be able to hold them, God. Before you give them to them, I need you to strengthen them by your might, by the might of your spirit, and I want you to strengthen them so that they would be able to hold all of this glory, all of these riches, all of these blessings. The strengthening of our inner man is necessary to contain the staggering gifts that will follow. The inner man, first the inner man, this is the regenerate man, the new heart, the person being fitted out for glory. And I've heard it said that many times, one of the things to think about what's going on when God grants you a trial. Yeah, I said grants you a trial. When God gives a particular trial in your life, what he's doing is you, you should think of yourself as being a, 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 some kind of a pot that's being stretched out. You should feel that stretch. During, during certain trials, you feel that stretch, right? You feel that pain, the difficulty. You, you feel that concern about whether or not you're going to be able, whether you're going to split and break open. But God knows what he's doing. And he's pulling, he's pulling that piece of pottery further and further. Why? So you can hold more glory. When you're going through trials, one of the things you should be thinking is, what, what is, how is he fitting me for greater glory? Fitting me for greater blessing? Because he is the one with the storehouse of the riches of glory and blessing. And he, he is, that's what he's, going, what he's pouring out in abundance upon his people. It's not enough that we receive the gifts that he will ask the Father for. It's not enough that we receive the gifts that he will ask the Father for. For we must be fitted to hold them, and we cannot do this. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And you think of it this way. You might have read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and you've read the story of, uh, of God's electing love as predestination of, of the redeeming work of Christ, of the sealing of the Spirit, and then you, you think, you, I, I think I understand it. But do you? Have you plumbed the depths of it? Has it, has it completely changed the way you see the world around you? You see yourself? You see your family? When you understand the covenant of grace and how God has been working through, the, through his covenants over history and find yourself in the middle of a story that is going, to an etern- going on into eternity, does, does, does that yet overwhelm you? No, you get distracted with this, that, or the other thing all the time. God needs to fit us. Fit us to be able to be filled with greater sense of the knowledge of the glory that he has given to us. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit through the, through the preaching, the reading, the meditating of God's word. So, um, we don't do this. We ask God to do this. And this is something which is not done once um, and just once and for all. It is something that we are renewed in daily. In, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. This is not a one-time work. This is the ongoing daily work, as you heard in, the, in our time of confession. The ongoing daily work of God sanctifying us 
breaking us down over and over again, continuing to build us, chip away at what needs to be chipped away. It is the ongoing daily work of fitting us to be in the image of Christ fully and completely. This corresponds to the daily life that we live in Christ. So listen again. What is he saying? He says that that he would grant you, that he would give to you according to the riches of his grace. That's how much. To be strengthened with might through his spirit. I wonder how much the Holy Spirit can strengthen us with might. And would do so in our inner man, our regenerate new man, the new person that we are in Christ. So that something would happen. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Wait a second. Doesn't Christ already dwell in our hearts through faith? We're, we're Christians, right? He's writing to Christians. Well, this word dwelling, this word dwelling refers not just to having moved in, but having settled down, taken dominion of, made it his made it look like his. Like going into an old house um, that, that you, you move in that day, but it's the wrong color, the doors don't work, the, the windows don't keep the cold out, and, and, and it, you, you don't, there's nothing right about it. But, and, and so someone might go into that house and say, well, you live there, but it doesn't really look like you yet. And then over the work that you do of dwelling in it, it takes on more and more of your character. It takes on more and more of your warmth, of your, uh, of, uh, of your personality. So Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. And as he does so, he takes dominion and dwells there uh, in us, making us more, making us, um, our, ourselves individually and the church corporately, more and more like him. We're the body and he's the head. And so this, this takes place both individually and corporately as, as his body as well. And he prays that Christ would do it in the hearts of the Ephesians. So this is not an evangelistic dwelt, Christ coming into our heart. This is one of the passages that you can turn to about Christ being in my heart. But Christ being in my heart is the work of him living in me by his spirit and changing me day by day by day, sanctifying me in his dominion over me. When he does so, he does so by rooting and grounding us in his love. Look at the passage again. The Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love will then be able to do something, some other things. But let's talk about this first of all. So Christ comes into your home. Christ comes into your inner man. Christ comes into your life and he roots you. He puts the fa- you deep into a particular kind of foundation. A, a building, before the building is built, a foundation has to be laid. And then the building is built upon that. Christ's and Christ's love is that foundation of what you're going to be built on. Or a tree. A a tree has to be planted in in the right kind of soil in order to bear the right kind of fruit. In order to be healthy. In order to to bring forth what it's supposed to bring forth. Well, Christ takes you like a tree and plants you in the soil of his love. In the soil of his love. His love for the Father. His love for you. The love the Father has for the world, the love that has, uh, has propelled the work of the gospel to go out over generations until all the nations have, now, have come to Christ. This is, a, this is a compelling love, a victorious love, and you, he's praying that, that they would be rooted in that love. So, 
This, this is something which we have. This is something that we are. If you are in Christ, then you are like that rooted tree. You are like that well-founded building in the love of Christ. True Christian knowledge is knowledge of a person, not just of facts. True Christian knowledge is not just knowledge of facts. It's knowledge of a person, a person who is love. Love is God's own motive, and that love becomes the foundation or roots of the new humanity. But I want you to consider what grows or what is built upon that love. But he says, being rooted and grounded in love will cause this, that you may be or they may be able to comprehend with all the saints the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. There's some words that I've skipped over we'll get to in just a moment. That they may be able to comprehend with all the saints the love of Christ, to know the love of Christ, the love of Christ which passes knowledge. The the love of Christ, comprehend the love of Christ that they may know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Does that make sense? What's happening, this is where human language begins to collapse for Paul. And it will continue all the way through to the end of the chapter. He prays that we would comprehend that which passes knowledge. It goes beyond able to just know facts. It's kind of like the difference between knowing facts about your wife and knowing your wife. It's something, it's far beyond just a set of data. But rather, within that data, a true and deep binding relationship. That's, that's what the knowledge of Christ is all about. He wants us, under the weight of the glory of the love of Christ for us, the love we have for Christ, and the instilled and growing, sanctifying love of Christ that we are to have for one another. This is something that, in order to really know, also, he says, we have to know together with all the saints. There's a part of your faith that is very particular and individual. But there's a part of your faith that is, is, has to be connected to the body of Christ. When you are baptized, you are not baptized as an individual member into a relationship with God the Father through Jesus because of your declaration of faith. Or, when, when you're baptized, you are being you are being put into a body of believers. You are being put placed into a covenant of people. You become members of the body of Christ. And part of understanding who Jesus is, is, is understanding who we are. And understanding how to live for Jesus is connected to how to understand how to live for and with one another. These things go hand in hand, and they're all interrelated with our knowledge of our relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Paul's praying for the manifestation of the astounding love of a community of Christians that will magnify the glory of God. He's praying for a manifestation of love that the world cannot comprehend. Okay, that's, that's one of the things he wants. Jesus said that they, they will know that you are Christians by your love. Um, um, John says, you cannot say you love God and hate your brother. There is something about the love of God that binds us to one another, 
that causes us to love in a way that the world cannot understand. Look, think about this for a minute. Um, We're commanded to love, and what is the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. So here we go. God's, God's giving what he commands and commands what he gives. Now, if, if the fruit of the Spirit is love, people who do not have the Holy Spirit don't have that love. The love that you have, the love that we have been given as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is something different than sentimental feelings, for instance, out there in the world, um, or, or just an emotional moment. The, the, the love... The love that is given to us that is the fruit of the Spirit is something that comes from and and requires intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. Flowing out of that, we, we are now different people. And we are able to treat one another. Families are able to treat one another. Um, in, in the work of, of business and the, the bits and pieces of taking dominion of the world that we do together, we are able to deal with one another differently. We are able to to do the things that we're going to be told to do in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, which are going to require our sacrifice, our, our, our grace towards others, our forgiving spirit, all kinds of love, because we have the love of Christ deep within us. You see, that's why he's praying this prayer. Before I tell you to love, I want to make sure that you know and have experienced and God has placed it deep in you, fitting you with the love that I'm going to command you now to, to, to do out there. In, in Ephesians 4, he's, he's going to tell you to, to put on the things of the new man, to take off filthy language, to take off lust, to take off lying, to take off uh, corrupt, nasty language, and instead to put on thanksgiving and encouragement and and truth he's going to tell you to put away all bitterness he's going to tell you to forgive one another as christ forgave you he's going to tell you to 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 let the psalms ring out from you taking control of you instead of drunkenness so that you you're you are almost uncontrolled with your thanksgiving and praise to god he's going to tell wives to submit to their husbands he's going to tell husbands to sacrifice their lives for christ he's going to tell children to obey their parents and fathers not to provoke them he's going to tell slaves to, to, to be in submission to their masters and masters to treat their slaves like, like fellow human beings and, and brothers and sisters in Christ. He's going to tell us to put on the whole armor of God and stand against the devil and, and be a completely different kind of people because of the love of Christ. And that's why he prays this prayer in, in chapter 3. You can't do Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 unless God answers the prayer of chapter 3, verses 14 to the end of the chapter. You can't do it. And that's why Paul says, stop. Don't read. Don't go out there and try to do this yet. Don't do this at home, folks. Not until you have been filled with the answer to this prayer. He says, you need to see. Paul is praying for this this astounding love within a community that will glorify God. And he he is also talking about an intensely personal and intimate relationship, loving relationship between you and the Father. In the book of Revelation, we are told that there's hidden manna for us, this food that is is given to us from God, and a white stone, uh, and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. I I think the the point of of this is that God God has a name for you, um, like, like you might have a, um, a nickname for your, um, for your spouse or one of your children. 
And maybe it's a special name that is only used in certain times and nobody else knows that name. It's, it's part of that intimacy that we experience. Well, God has a name for you. It's written on a stone, it's given to you, and you and he are the only ones who know that name. There is, a, there is a particular individual bond that he has with you. Can I stop and say, because I don't know any of you. What that means is, what that means is in, in, the, in the most troublesome parts of your life, in the most difficult parts of your past, one of the things you need to know is that God knows all of it and isn't, and isn't abhorrent of any of it. He, if you're in Christ, he wants to take whatever that is and he wants you to know it's all taken care of in Jesus and we are going, we're gonna, I'm going to take you from here and I am going to continue to progress you into full and perfect sanctification and glorification. I'm going to give you eternal joy. At my right hand are pleasures forevermore. And you're on that path. And I have a name for you. It's just between you and me. That's what the Father is saying to you. You can trust me and walk with me in this part of your life, in that journey in your life right now, because you know God knows it all, and he's not abhorred by any of it. He would take you where you are, and he will take you to glory in Jesus Christ. This is, this is what he's, when he says in the prayer, now, now I'll take that middle section, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. This is the geometry of love. His love goes everywhere. It has no limits, no bounds, no end. Some interpret the dimensions of his love thus. They think of the breadth as Jew and Gentile, all nations, the whole world, the breadth of his love, the length of it. Love since the, before the foundations of the world and the unending through all eternity that his love will continue, never ends. The height that we've been seated with Christ in the heavenlies and the depth that he's reached down, reached down to the lowest levels of depravity to those dead in their sins. Those, those ideas, those concepts would all come through the first three chapters of Ephesians. And, and the love of Christ has gathered all through all of that, reaching down to, to each and every one of us who call on the name of Jesus. So that, he says, we might know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Remember I told you this is beyond language now. It's crazy talk. Be filled with all the fullness of God. We are filled, having read the first sentence of the first chapter in a library with an infinite number of volumes. What is he saying? God's goal is to make us like himself by filling us with himself. With his power, his majesty, his wisdom, his love, his mercy, his patience, his kindness, his long-suffering, and every other thing God is and does. How many of you have seen the uh, cartoon version, the animation version, Beauty and the Beast? Belle loves to read. She only has a few books that she can get. When she's in the beast's room and uh, in, in his, his castle... Do you remember when, he, when she stumbles into the library and she sees the books for the first time? 
at all of the books on all of the shelves. What, what God is saying about being, being filled with the knowledge of his love, what he wants you to understand is you have read the first sentence of the first book of, of, all, of the, all of the books of the shelves of God's love for you, of God's love for the world, of the character and power and majesty and extent of the love of God over this creation. You've only, you only know this much. So when you say to yourself, I'm not sure God loves me, or, or I'm not sure God loves this world, or I'm not so, I'm sure, sure I can trust in the love of God, you need to remember, you've got a lot more reading to do. You got a lot more of God to, 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 to come to know. The, the problem's not the love of God. The problem is our knowledge of the love of God. The problem is not the power of God. The, the problem is the knowledge of the power of God at work in us. The, the problem is not that, 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 we, that, that He has fallen short. The problem is we need to be opened up to be filled more with what He has for us. And that's what He's saying. We, we cannot see yet what we will become. But we can see Jesus, the way, the path, the projection, the glory. And, and so I want you to pray this prayer and say, God, give that to me. That, that's okay to pray. It's okay to take this prayer and say, God, I pray that you would strengthen, that, that you would grant according to the riches of your glory to strengthen me with might through your spirit in my inner man. So that Christ would dwell, take dominion of my heart, my life through faith. And that, and that, you, that, that you would take me and root me, ground me in that love. I wander off so easily so that I'd be able to comprehend with all the saints the love, the love that you have for me which passes knowledge. That you may be filled, that I would be filled with all the fullness of God. I need to be filled with the fullness of God so that I can do chapters 4, 5, and 6. Are you ready to pray like that? Would you take this prayer? Would you take this prayer and pray for yourself, for your spouse, for your children, for this church, for others? I, I encourage you to take a name and put it into this prayer and lift it to the Lord. Look, it's his prayer. He wrote it. I, I, I bet he would like to answer it. You, you ever pray prayers and you think, I have no idea if God really wants to answer this prayer. I, well, he wrote this one. He, he wants to answer it. He wants to answer it in your life, in your family, in this church, and over the church, over the churches of this world, in, this na- in these nations, in this generation. And is he able? Let me just end by reading the last two verses. Now to him who is able to do abundantly. Paul's writing this out. I'm imagining him writing this out. Um, now, him who is able to do abundantly. He's like, that's, that's not enough. Now, him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. No, that's, that's not enough. Wait, how about this? Now, now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, abundantly above all that we ask or think or imagine. How about that, too? Uh, abundantly over all we ask or think According to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I would take that prayer and encourage you to use that in your own devotions 
and in your own time with the Lord as you pray, as you think about how to pray for my spouse, how to pray for my kids, how to pray for this church, how to pray for my friends. Take and, um, and use what Paul has given to us. Let's close together in prayer. Father in heaven, great Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, grant us, grant these people, grant this nation, Grant the church in these United States, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with might through your spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, and the manifestation of his dwelling and lordship would permeate this land and the church, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend that which passes all knowledge, the absolute, unlimited, boundless love of Christ, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God, Fit us for this, Lord, even as we pray, as your Lord, as, as Jesus taught us to pray. Say. I was never do this, but I'm going to give you the same communion exhortation this week that I gave last week. It's fitting, I think, because of Pastor Hatcher's sermon theme, the poem by George Herbert called Love. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, all those baptized into the name of Christ, all those who are under the authority of Christ and His body, the church, are welcome. As we eat the bread and drink the wine, we are acknowledging that we are sinners without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God, that we are trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.